Welcome to Scale School, my friends. I'm Dan Bolton, and my purpose here is simple. I wanna help you increase the scalability of your coaching or consulting business so as it gets bigger, life gets better. Here we will be talking everything from getting clients, keeping clients, teams, leadership, but most importantly, making scaling simple and fun again. Thanks so much for tuning in and I hope you get a ton out of today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Content Capitalist Podcast, where I have conversations with people who are creating content and also using it to leverage their business doing seven figures or more. Now, I've got a guest with me who, if I'm honest, I, I almost sounded started sounding desperate the amount of times I said, you got to get on the pod. And I had to chase him because here's the thing. A lot of people, they have their content and everything in such a way so that whenever there's an availability, they just go and do it. He's the kind of person who's got his priorities. And then if it fits within his predetermined schedule, then I get to come in. So I had to wait in line for quite a bit, but I was patient and here we are. Please welcome Dan Bolton to the show. Dude, thank you so much for having me. And uh, sorry for blowing you off for so long, dude. Nothing personal. I'm uh, <laughs> uh, figuring out my life as we'll, as, we'll, as we'll find on this uh, conversation. But I'm really excited for this, man. And uh, long time listener, uh, first I, time caller. I appreciate caller. it. Thank you. Thank you. Dan, could you, for the sake of uh, the listeners, give us an overview of who you help, what you help them accomplish, and, uh, and what's kind of your, what is your business? Yeah. So uh, I primarily work with coaches and consultants, right? And uh I'm sure that kind of aligns with a lot of the people that you've interviewed in the past. Um, one of the things that I've realized is that oftentimes those titles uh, don't even really fit a lot of the people that I, I work with. You know, we all remember uh, the purple business Bible being dropped 2021, uh, $100 million offers. And so now you have um, coaches offering done for you services. You've got agencies that are also selling education. And so these lines are more blurred than ever. And so Really who I help is, uh, I kind of just call them value creators, right? People that are uh, in the business of um, creating and selling value. And uh, I work with people a, prime, uh, a couple of different ways, right? I have a community that requires not a whole lot of me and it's really based around kind of curriculum and community and events and things like that. And then I do a handful of kind of one-to-one mentorships and uh, coaching and consulting that kind of keeps me sharp and has me working with kind of seven and eight figure entrepreneurs that um that are looking to either refine their client acquisition or the client success systems. Uh, I've kind of built a bit of a broad range of skills over the last few years. And so, yeah, there's a range of kind of day-to-day. I, I create content. I shoot videos like this. I jump on calls. I um, help people from a high level. I don't have a team. I don't manage a whole lot of stuff. I minimize uh, a lot of those kind of stresses that don't really fit my personality. And so, yeah, I just basically just get paid to talk. And that's basically it. Talk and think. Have you ever heard of someone named Tim Ferriss? Yeah, of course. I don't know if I'm going to be the first one to say this, but you remind me of Tim Ferriss. I take that as a huge Have you been told that? Never. But uh, I've listened to him for a long time. When he started, when he put that book out, right, he just broke a lot of myths, like the the statement, four-hour work week. And then just sharing things from not not necessarily like the in the weeds so much, even though he did some of that, but a meta perspective on, hey, what if you could hold two or three or four jobs down and still only work four hours a week by leveraging this. Mm-hmm. And you're coming at it like, hey, what if you don't have to have a team? Mm-hmm. What if you, d- you don't have to uh, spend this many hours? You're talking about how many hours you spend, how much you, uh, you know, th- the smaller groups you have that are profiting massively. Mm-hmm. And that kind of meta shift in the way to look at agency work and coaching work 
And the way you're sharing your ideas reminds me of him. Is, is, are you seeing a parallel at all? Yeah, I mean, he, he's someone that I, I first read for our work week maybe a year after it came out. So I think that might've been 2009, mm. 2010, then read For Our Body. And one of the things that I really like about Tim and, and uh, people like Naval Ravikant and, and just others that, that seem to be quite different in the way that they think is it's quite contrary in thinking. And I would say that's not naturally how I think. I think for a long time, I did what I thought I was supposed to do. I was buying the courses and working with the mentors and copying the business model and kind of just implementing exactly as I saw fit. But the more that I went down that path, the more I realized it just didn't fit me as a person. It didn't fit my personality, mm. my skills, my goals. And so the longer I've been doing this, the more I've evolved into, I guess, what could be described as a contrarian thinking, someone that is maybe a bit of a misfit of the industry where everyone is saying like, go this way. You know, I'm kind of going this way. And, and, and so then my work is also speaking to those people that might not fit the mold the way that most people could. Mm. Got it. Got it. Now, I want to take our, our listeners back a little bit to, I, I know that you were a pastor at one point, right? Yeah. Which is not quite a, the typical entrepreneur uh, path. No. But tell me about what you're doing there and then why you decided to shift and go all in and say, hey, I'm a businessman, I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. So for those of you that can pick up the accent, I think I've got a pretty hybrid accent at this point, having lived kind of all over the world, but uh, I'm from New Zealand. So grew up in a single parent household, um, got into drugs and, and drinking and all sorts of stuff through older siblings that were involved in uh, all sorts of underground activities when I was 10, 11 and 12. And then when I was 13, I, I walked into a church from the invitation of a really pretty uh, neighbor that I, I liked. And, um, and uh, that kind of set a really strong trajectory for my life. I, I, um, I became a follower of Jesus at that point and went into high school. And, you know, school was a really interesting one where it was something that I could uh, succeed at if I tried. I was the kid with potential that didn't apply it. And uh, I really didn't like the rules. I didn't like the uniforms. I didn't like having to be at certain places at certain times. And I was obsessed in that area of my life um, uh, with music. And so that was all I really cared about. So at 16, as soon as I could drop out of school, I did drop out of school and I was heavily involved with the church. And when I was 18, so in 2008, uh, I had this conversation with uh, the pastor that I was kind of a part of the church of. And he was having this conversation of, you know, dad, we're looking for a youth pastor. Do you happen to know anybody? And at that point, as passionate as I was about, you know, helping people, I thought my life was really about service. Uh, that idea sounded like hell. Like I was like, I'm 18, all my friends are going to university and college and having a lot of fun. And uh, I was like, you know, if I think of anyone, I'll let you know. But but kind of long story short there, it, it felt so intuitively right. And um, when I started dating my wife, when I was 18, we'd be married for 11 years. The first conversation I had with her is I was like, hey, I'm gonna be doing this youth pastor thing for at least five years, which as an 18 year old, that was a timeline that I felt committed to, but the average uh, lifespan of a youth pastor is about 18 months. And so five years felt like a lifetime, both because of my age and because of the stage. And um, over the next nine years, we were a part of this church uh, in New Zealand. When I started with it, there was about 50 people on a Sunday. When I finished, there was about 1,500. And I was overseeing about 700 people by the time, the end of my time in uh, 2018. And throughout that period, I had not had any business experience. I hadn't had sales experience. I had uh, Jesus experience. That was all I had. I was like working in churches and kind of doing all that thing. 
But all the way through, I was probably what I describe as like a closet entrepreneur. So when I should have been reading all these books around spiritual development and how to be a better church leader, I was looking up like how to make money online. And even though I'd never done it, that was something that was so interesting and fascinating to me. All my Kindle was just business books. It was Jeff Walker's product launch formula, but I had no product and I had no plan to launch one, but I was fascinated with this idea. So coming into 2018, we intuitively felt like it was time to finish up in the role that we had. And it was one of the hardest decisions I'd even made because at that point in my life, I thought I would be a pastor and it would look like this for the rest of my life. I had resigned myself to never running a business. I had resigned myself to never really stepping out of uh, that kind of church environment. But in 2018, it felt really clear like that was the right thing to do. And for anyone who remembers that period, there was one theme that was popping off in the internet marketing industry. If you opened your Facebook account, there were ads for this thing called social media marketing. And so when it came to the end of my time as a pastor, I remember finishing up on a Sunday, right? And, and having the kind of big celebration of like Dan and, Dan and Olivia, my wife, done nine years together. Uh, congratulations, you know, run the race well, all that. And then the next day I wake up and I have got one more week's worth of pay coming in that Thursday and I had no money in the bank. And I didn't even tell me how much you were making at the time. Oh, dude, if we're talking US dollars, because I think that will be the most relatable currency, I was making about $17 an hour, right? Uh, and that, that's actually, uh, actually, that's not true because I was working more hours than I was paid. So if you divide the actual amount of hours I was working, the amount I was paid, it was probably about $13 an hour. And keep in mind, like I- And what I, did that come to like month on month? Uh, it was about, uh, in US dollars, probably about 33,000 a year, right? And I okay. was hustling for that 33 grand, man. I was like working hard and, you know, New Zealand tax isn't great. And so anyway, I, we, hey, we had no money, dude. And so I- Woke up on that Monday. I didn't even own a laptop. I had to borrow my wife's laptop. I went to this cafe that I frequented called Mixture. And I sat down and I said, right, I have to figure out how to start a business because I feel pretty unemployable, right? I've got no degrees, no studies. I dropped out of high school when I was 16 and all I've done is being a pastor. And so around that time, I bought uh, Sam Oven's Consulting Accelerator and Ty Lopez's Social Media Marketing Agency. And so my first month, I did everything for everyone. Thankfully, I'd built up a great reputation in my community. So there were people that were like willing to give youth pastor Dan a shot at this new venture he was doing. So my first five clients was like, I was coaching a real estate agent on how to get leads online. And I was just taking the, the skills that I'd built in, in speaking over 500 times on stage as a pastor and figuring out how to help people package business messages for online. The skills were actually really transferable. My second client was a personal trainer looking to use social media. I was working with a vehicle financing place, running ads for them. I was working with a building company, creating a website for them. And then I was managing social media for my local grocery store. And so that was my first 30 days in business was just like chaos. Your list of sounds like, like the, the village people. Dude, I was that bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was, um, it was uh, an amazing season because I built so many skills, but it was also a season of so many failures and mistakes. So I'd, I'd promise the world and then have to figure out how to do it. Like I'll never forget bringing on my first ads agency client and I signed them. They said, yes, they wired the money through and then we had to get ads up live and I had no idea how to run ads. So I spent all night going through Sam Ovens Consulting Accelerator, all the modules on how to create Facebook ads. And I remember going to bed at about 5.30, pressing live on the ads that I just created in that moment. 
and then waking up a few hours later and seeing that the leads were starting to come in. And I was like, so pumped because I was like, oh my gosh, this thing might actually work. And so I was always one step ahead of myself. I was like selling stuff that I then had to figure out how to deliver. I was like, if the if I have access to the modules within Ty's program and Sam's program, I'll sell it and then I'll figure out how to deliver it based on what they tell me to do. So rather than me having all the answers and all the game plan, I was like selling it and then trying to figure out how to build it. And so that was kind of how it started. And then over the last five years, I've had stacks of iterations that we can kind of dig into as much or a little, as little as you like, but that's how I got started. I love it. Thanks for the backstory. Now, a uh, couple things I wanted to, that, that piqued my curiosity, so the listeners might also be curious. You said that uh, you grew up uh, with single parent family and you had some siblings, you were doing all kinds of bad stuff. Uh, was there ever a point where you like got in trouble with the law or like, were, like <laughs> was the point where it's like a breaking point that was just like, if this doesn't stop, I'm going to be dead. And then you kind of shifted things. That's a great question. So my, so the only story uh, of running into the law, which is a, a, a funny note, is was many years later when I was no longer drinking and doing drugs. I actually, I actually, uh, you know, smoked a lot of weed and drank a lot when I was 10, 11, 12. I started going to church when I was 13 and I did How do you get access to that at 10, so, 11, 12? So my family is uh, interesting, right? Like my brother, even to, <laughs> my brother, even to this day, um, I love my brother. We don't have a fantastic relationship by any means, but he is the leader of the biggest gang in our city at home. And so both of my older siblings, we have different fathers. And so they are 15 years older than me. So when I was 10, they were 25 and they were involved in gangs and kind of in and out of jail and things like that. And so the only relationship we had was one based around whatever activities they were up to. And so, and then, and then through them, I was also connecting with their friends. I was hanging out with people constantly that were 10, 15, 20 years older than me. Uh, I remember being, uh, for anyone who's as old as I am and older, you'll remember the Y2K bug, right? That, ha- that happened in the, the millennia, the, t- the, the turn of the century, right? So year 2000, I remember spending my New Year's Eve just vomiting up bourbon and cola into a toilet when I was 10 years old because I was just surrounded by family members and people that were so much older than me and on a completely different path. And so there was a really significant moment when uh, a family member gives me the biggest bag of weed I've ever seen in my life and it's like their gift to me. And I'm, I'm 12 years old at the time. And I get involved in this church thing and I really quickly understand there are two paths, maybe two paths for every person, right? There's, there's obviously lots of decisions we can make that takes us down like little narrow paths, but there are two ways that we can live our life. Are we going to live by the desires that we have, the stuff that feels good in the moment, the stuff that we really don't consider the long-term consequences for? Are we going to live by principles and intention and consciously create the life that we want to live? And so I'll never forget getting involved in this church and realizing that this big bag of weed that I've just been given is a decision point in my life. I either keep it, I smoke it, I do something with it, I sell it, whatever, or I get rid of it. And I I remember the moment giving that back being one of the most defining moments of my life. It actually fractured that relationship I had with that person for the next decade. But as a 12-year-old, I realized that that was a decision point that I had to choose. It wasn't about the weed or, or not. It was about the path I was choosing to go on. And I think my life has been filled with lots of those different decisions, but that's just one really strong picture of kind of the decisions I had to make over the, the coming decades of, of being exposed to all of these things within my family 
and going, am I going to walk that path or am I going to create a new path for myself? Mm, thanks for explaining that so well. I can see how at that young age, it's, you're still, you know, the neuroplasticity is there. Formative age, you made a big decision that had to do with connections, love, family, acceptance, and and the thing that you wanted to do. That I, I can see how that pattern plays over and over when you when you shift lanes in, in your life since then. Yeah, 100%. Uh, second question that, that comes to mind is uh, you, when you joined the, the, the church and then became a youth pastor. And then now what you're doing here, was there like a shift in like a religious principle? Like, did you, like, did you become very religious and how much of that is carrying on to today? Yeah. Uh, as far as your beliefs, your religion and your faith. Yeah. That's a great question. So it's evolved as we evolve, right? It's like, mm -hmm. as I grow older, I like my, my, I just want to clarify Cause when, when you went back and kind of talked about it, mm -hmm. you described it more as a job in your words. So I'm just trying to get yeah, clear, that's like, a great was question. it a, a so, religion or a job or, or no, a blend? So, so I'm, yeah. I'm a follower of Jesus to this day, right? So, mm -hmm. so, so my faith is a core part of who I am and it's been a core part of who I am since I was 13. When I was in this church, it was, it, it evolved so drastically in terms of what it felt like and what it required of me as a job, right? Because it is this tension of like, you're doing it for people. You, we believe we're doing it in service to God, but there's a job element. You have a boss, there are meetings, there are goals, there's a culture. And so the church that I joined and the church that it became was just two really radically different things. And it became a big tension for me because um, just like anything, you can forget the reason of why you're doing it in the first place, right? You start a business to help people. All of a sudden you build a team, all of a sudden you need to make more money to like make sure that that team is paid and then you need to make sure you've got profit. And so all of a sudden the mission, the vision of why you started something actually gets lost in the doing of that thing. And so for me, my, my faith and my belief didn't change so much as the expression of how I saw that being played out for myself. And so I really, over the years, started to feel less and less connected with what I was doing because it felt less of the expression of why I felt like I was put on this earth and the church was going in a different direction and had a different vision. So it was less of a breakup of um, I'm leaving because I disagree or because I don't believe these things anymore. It was more, I felt like a misfit, right? Much of how I did in the last few years with the business space of like, I did all the stuff I was told to do. I followed the mentors. I followed the traditional path. And I just realized that wasn't for me, if that makes sense. Thank you so much for clarifying that. I That, that makes so much sense. Now we're, I, I, I could go on forever and talk like this forever, but I, you know, we've got a, a time constraint. So what I want to do is, could you give us just a, some highlights of what are the kind of distinctive iterations that you've seen yourself go through yeah. up until what you're doing now? And then after that, we'll dive into like what's working right now Perfect. and how did you come to that? Yeah. So there have definitely been distinct evolution. So I'll quickly go over them. So uh, April, 2018, I start this business. I have a wide range of clients. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just building skills. That, that season, really that year of 2018 was everything for everyone, right? I didn't have a clear marketing message. I didn't have a clear offer. It was kind of like within the realm of digital marketing and social media marketing, that was kind of where I was playing. I had some coaching clients, had some clients I was doing the service for. And then what happened over that year was all of these people that had grown up with me and known me as Dan, the youth pastor, were now asking me, how are you making money online? And so that's maybe how all good guru stories start. People ask the question of like, you're doing this thing, how does it work? And so I did what most gurus do, right? Uh, and I'm not by no means calling myself a guru, more just the, the funny uh, kind of parallels. 
I launched a course, uh, a 997, right, in, in December of 2018 called the Six Figure Side Hustle. How to make six figures running simple ads for local businesses. I was just teaching what I've been doing. So I spent the next few months just doing that. And, and th- that was such a formative time because there were absolutely parts of that business that I hated. Like I was working with complete beginners. It was so much harder than I ever thought. And I was only charging $1,000 for it. So the margins were really low. Uh, but but it was at that time that I developed the two systems that I still use to this day. One was creating content and community to build trust with people and then using uh, the DMs to close deals, right? So all of those $1,000 programs for me were being sold from an ad that went to a Facebook group where people watched trainings and built trust and then sent me messages to where I then closed them in the DMs. That was a really tumultuous season because long story short, our family moved two countries in 16 weeks due to some mental health things that basically we moved to country, it wasn't the right fit, we moved back. And the thing I was craving was like consistency of revenue. I was selling these $1,000 things and there was no recurring revenue. So in mid-2019, I restart the agency, but instead of doing everything for everyone, we became incredibly focused uh, through one type of person and one type of problem. So at that point, we launched in uh, June 2019. We were kind of agency 2.0, starting from scratch. And I was now running ads for coaches who wanted more calls and we were using webinar funnels. And it was around that time I started working more with uh, our good friend Taki Moore. And so our business grew radically through referrals and organic because we were just focused in on this one thing. We didn't work with e-com brands or building businesses. We were only helping coaches get more calls through webinar funnels. So we went from zero to 100K a month with that in nine months. And it was really radical growth. And uh, I was working for Taki for a good portion of that. And so um, I was working uh, three to four days a week for him. And then I was working one to two days in my own business doing 100K a month. And uh, there's this amazing guy called Alex Scharfen. And so enter into 2020, this is just before kind of the world mounts down and goes crazy. And I reach out to Alex and I say, hey, dude, so I'm really stressed. I'm really overwhelmed. I'm drinking a lot. I'm just wondering if you can like give me some tips to like handle my stress better. And he kind of like leans in. He's like, hey, Dan, you have a full-time job and a seven-figure business. Pick one. And I was like, okay. It's was my... this in person or did you call him? Uh, it was multiple conversations. One was in person oh. and one was via Voxer where he was just way more direct about it, right? He was, because he was trying to help me. He's like, yeah, you should have a morning routine, prioritize hydration, da, da, da. And then he just gets a number of these messages from me that he was like, dude, you're, you're just being an idiot right now. You have a million dollar business and a full-time job. You need to decide which path you're going to go down. And so- we, I doubled down on the agency. I finished up with Taki. It was an amazing season. I learned so much. Go all in on my own business. And then agency's going really well. Then COVID happens. We navigate COVID. We bring our clients through that. Our agency is stronger than ever. And then in June of 2020, our agency gets hacked. Some guy from Vietnam finds a way to get through one of our employees' profiles and gets access to all of our client ad accounts. And you, we had to laugh at the time because it was like so traumatic. But the funniest thing was, is he was spending thousands of dollars of our clients' money on promoting fake Calvin Kleins in Vietnam. So it was just like, there was a, there was a funny element to it. Where I was like, man, I have to see like the, the, not the bright side of this, but it was just so devastating at the time, but that was just a hilarious element to it. And so over the next 30 days between ad spend, we had to refund people 
clients leaving because our, their ad accounts were shut down and then us having to credit our clients' billing cycles while we waited for ad accounts to get back up. It cost us $100,000 cash. And that was a really big turning point for me because it wasn't about uh, a bump in the road to the business that I wanted to build. It was me really realizing this is, was not a business I wanted to build. I'm a coach and a mentor and a creator at heart. And yet here I was spending all day in meetings, building things, doing things for people. And it was me and them and Zucks in this like kind of three-way relationship, right? And, and so I realized at that point, I didn't want to do that. So I launched a coaching program, teaching people how to do what we've been doing for ads agencies. Uh, and, sorry, in our ads agency, and the program was really simple. It was called the Run Ads Make Money Club, right? <laughs> so literally it was like, hey, we're going to teach you how to do what we do. And long story short, that goes through multiple iterations over the next 18 months. Uh, but in 16 months, we go from zero with that to hitting $347,000 cash in a single month. So we grew really fast. I went from like a team of three to a team of 13. And this was a huge turning point for me that basically summarizes the last 18 months. Around that time, I had two really, really distinct mentors, right? And there'll be names that will be familiar to every person listening to this, Sam Ovens and Alex Hormozzi. And I love Sam and Alex so much. I've been able to get to know both of them personally. They're incredible humans. They're also very different to me. And what I was doing at that time was I was doing what I thought I had to do to build a significant business and have the impact and make the profit that I wanted to have. So I was just following the playbook that I was given. And so around that time, both of them thought making content was stupid, which I find hilarious now. You look at someone like Homozi, content is like the thing he's becoming most well-known for, but, but most people don't know. Two years ago, he had no intention of creating content. Everything for him was just like ads, acquisition, sales teams. He used to diss it quite a bit. 100%, right? And so for me, I was following the same playbook. I was like creating mm -hmm. the least amount of content I humanly could to build this business based on the models that I was given. And so I remember the lowest moment for me was this one particular day where I'd just been on back to back to back to back calls, right? Sales calls, team calls, client calls. And I remember this one moment that was the epitome of this low moment of, of business where on the outside, I was getting awards, I was getting recognition, I was making all this money. But I remember on this one particular day, I am so desperate to go to the bathroom that during a Zoom meeting, I discreetly pee into a bottle, right? Because I have no idea how to get out of these Zoom calls because that was like literally one Zoom call would end, the next one would start and so on and so forth. And I remember that moment was just like, man, I am not running the business that I want to run right now. And so the last 18 months for me has been around really trying to redesign things. And so in 2021, we did 2 million in revenue with a team of 13. Lots of ads, lots of client acquisition. In 2022, I redesigned everything to be about retention. So rather than just getting clients, right? How do we make an offer so good people would feel stupid to say no? It became about how do we create an offer so good people would feel stupid to leave? And so the craziest thing happened. 2021, 2 million, team of 13. 2022, team of four, 2 million. And we turned off all acquisition for seven months. No ads, no content, no setters, no closes, nothing. And all of these lessons were coming to me where I was like, man, I'm doing the opposite to what I was doing. I'm making more money, more profit, having more fun. And uh, I feel like I'm kind of on the right path, but it still wasn't right. And so even coming into this year, I reduced everything down to me and a virtual assistant. And then this year we're on track to, you know, with my awesome tax situation that I've set up living in Bali and different things like that. I'm on track to take home a million dollars, but with a team of two and working about 
three to four hours a day on average. And so the last few years has just been this iteration of how do I make the business model that mm. is built around my life rather than building my life around my business. And what that's led me to is really rethinking a lot of the things that I was taught, not throwing everything out, but adjusting it and adapting it for my goals and my personality. And so that kind of brings me to a point now where it's like, I make really good money. I work relatively very few hours. And now I'm just doing the stuff that I love doing, which is not building teams and increasing scale and doing all these different things, but it's just focusing on the essential few things that bring the biggest mm. return on my time and energy. You know, if if I'm, as you're describing this, I'm kind of thinking like, if I were to make an infographic of this, then there'll be like, you know, you drunk and high uh, as a kid. <laughs> and then the bag, there's going to be this, this elbow point where there's a bag of weed and then there's the church, right? Boom, there's a turning point. And then there's going to be like, hey, my family's growing. I need more money. Online marketing, there's going to be like a marketing, internet marketing logo there with a dollar mark. Ding. And then the conversation with Alex, pick one, boom. And then ping in a bottle, boom, right? (laughs) So then there's, and then I'd I'd make little drawings on these and then that would be like your elbow points in your your life. So that's great how you you explain those those pivotal moments. Uh, Gosh, there's, what I'm really curious about is at what point did you, go all in with content creation and decide like, this is actually going to be a part of what I do regularly, uh, yeah. regardless of what, you know, what, what version of myself I'm going through or, or did you ever make that decision? hundred percent I did. So in 2021, when we were growing a lot, I was still creating content, but it was all with a means to an end, right? So every piece of content I created was just about building enough trust to get a call book so we could have an opportunity to sell someone to our program. So it was a means to win in. It was not, there was no plan around like I'm creating content to build a brand or build an audience. It was like, how do I create the least amount of content, right? And at that point I was so stressed. I thought I hated creating content. So it was a minimum, minimum standard, right? I was trying to find the absolute minimum effective dose. Coming into end of last year, end of 2022, I started rethinking uh, a lot of my business model based on my personality. And a great life is just made up of a lot of great days, right? Oftentimes we disconnect these things between the macro and the micro. We're trying to build a great business and then we're trying to build an amazing life, but we don't understand the direct connection to we wake up today and are the things we're doing actually moving us towards that because we love what we're doing day to day to day. And so growing up, I mentioned that I was obsessed with making music. Like I'm an artist at heart. I I really love creating things. And what I realized was I had built a business that required me to be a builder, to uh, manage people, to lead people, and to have most of my time associated with meetings and systems and projects rather than do what I do best, which is just creating stuff, thinking, coaching people. So the start of this year, I really had a line in the sand moment where, where two things happened. The first was I simplified my business model so that money, making money became way easier. I eliminated my team, my margins went way up, and I basically put myself back in the coaching seat of like, instead of this leverage group coaching program, I'm going to sell more one-to-one coaching. So what that did was it blew up. I got like 30 one-to-one coaching clients in about 60 days, which took me to $100,000 profit, purely one-to-one coaching in about eight hours a week. The second thing that it allowed me to do was think longer term, right? So it was no longer about, I need to create a piece of content today to get a call or a lead or a client. It was now about where am I trying to take myself and this business and my kind of mission on the next five to 10 years. And that was the point that I really started to create content. And so, you know, I launched like a YouTube channel, uh, for example, a few months ago. And I my, love your YouTube channel, by the way. I appreciate it. It's I been know it's just so the beginning. Fun. 
I know yeah. it's just the beginning, but it's it's gonna go places. I, I'm really excited about it. I, I love I love firstly, I love doing it. It's not a chore. Like now that I have less stress, I've got more creative energy. And so creating content is really yeah. fun. But I started thinking about and, and that you know what's kind funny when we started this you go. When we started this call, I, I I'm seeing you here. I'm just like, I feel like I'm watching you on YouTube, but I get to talk to right. the, the YouTube you, you video. Know, you've been to this because this is the exact before. set. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. It's very cool. And so so when I launched the YouTube channel, I just started thinking in terms of years, not weeks and months. So it's, it's not that the YouTube channel doesn't make me money now. The thing I love about long form content, for example, is if you have it on a platform like YouTube, it's really bingeable, right? So the someone's ability to go from one video to the next to the next is so much easier than say a platform like Instagram or YouTube. Oh, sorry, Instagram or Facebook. And so I've made a lot of money from my small YouTube channel right? Uh, in the last few months, like I've had p- clients, uh, follow me on Facebook, go to my YouTube channel, binge all of that, and then reach out and work with me. I've had people find me on YouTube, watch all the YouTube channel, not be connected with me anywhere else and work with me. But the pressure has come off where I'm no longer creating content to just get an ROI today. I'm working on building brand and audience for the years to come. And so it's been such a cool iteration for me, but it all came from the decision of utilizing content and really realizing its power. And I will never forget hearing Homozi talk about this. There's a powerful reframe for me. He said he was never interested in content because he thought the content was the asset, but the asset is the audience the content builds. It's the trust you build with a group of people that makes content so powerful. It's not about the 15 minute video you create and then thinking that's the most important piece. It's the people who watch it who now want to watch more of your stuff because there was so much value in that 15 minutes. And when I realized that shift, it became such a powerful moment of going, man, I need to go all in on this content thing because of the power of having an audience that's engaged. Mm. You, you know what I'm I'm noticing, the, the pattern, and I, you probably have seen this yourself, but I notice what what happened was every time you had an iteration earlier on, it was like an identity shift. You are right. a pastor, you are a drug addict, you are an entrepreneur, and you see somebody who's a role model and you kind of try to put on their clothes, right? Like you try yeah. to become them, put on the Batman costume. Mm-hmm. Right now, what I'm seeing the difference is like Hormozy, you don't want to be him, but his his philosophy around content creation, you want to borrow that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, social media marketing, you know, like I know it's a bit dated, but Ty Lopez, you don't want to be Ty, but you can use what he gave. It's more like a cafeteria situation where you pick the best parts of people, right? Yeah. There are people like Elon, for example, where I would never in a million years want his life, but a little bit of his creative genius, absolutely, right? And, and I think that when we separate people's uh, gifts with their personality, then we be, then we don't lose ourselves. And and did you find yourself distinctively making a decision or a shift to instead of try to become someone to just take and learn 100%. from them? Is, yeah, was that a di- yeah? Okay, I remember hearing a that. mentor say years ago: first we imitate, then we emulate, and then we innovate. And too many mm. people I see they they come into this space and they try and get really creative and innovative really fast, and so they try and go to the opposite of what's working or the opposite of what people are saying in order to try and be different, right? And so that doesn't really work, right? It's like we want to take what's what's working and we model it, right? The problem for most people though is they never iterate to make it their own. So so what they're doing is they're going through a Sam Ovens course or they're working with Taki or Homozi or any of these amazing coaches. And all they're doing is copying and pasting. 
And copying and pasting can totally work if then the idea is run with the model and then make it your own. But what happens for a lot of people is they're taking someone else's model with different goals, with different personalities, with different skills. Like taking advantage, uh, sorry, taking advice from a billionaire should come with a huge grain of salt, which is they have a radically different goal than you do. And they're going to have to make different sacrifices along the way to get to that goal. And so when you align yourself with someone who has a different goal and wants a different life for themselves, you have to take it with the grain of salt of this might work for them. Let me find out how it'll work for me. And so I was listening to um, Dan Martell recently, and uh, he had this amazing vlog and he, he introduced this idea of becoming a belief collector, right? So like identifying people's thinking that you really love and then pulling it in and going like, that's so good. I'm going to bring that into my thinking. I need to think more like that. For me, I've done that with business models and with the ways that people run their businesses. So like someone who's been really influential for me, but I've never worked with personally is a coach called Brooke Castillo. So she did 52 million last year in the life coaching space. Uh, many, many coaches don't even know who she is because she's just like got such a radically different model to most of us. And so I've taken so much of her thinking and so much of the way that she does things and brought them into my business. And so all I'm doing is like compiling the best of. I'm becoming a belief collector. I'm becoming a model collector finding things that I really like about other people's business models and then kind of bringing them in to make Dan's version of this and building it around my life. So it's a reflection of my goals, not just an inheritance of someone else's goals and someone else's model, right? It's discovering my own son and superpower as opposed to putting on Batman's costume and trying to pretend to be him. Yeah, love it. Uh, two things I want to cover before we you know, talk about everything else I'm, I'm curious about, all the shiny objects. Uh, two things is, what does the actual like service delivery or the coaching program look like? How does that work, like the format? Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is, what's your content creation strategy right now? How do you find the ideas, execute on shooting it, like if it's batching or, you know, when you feel like it, and where does it go out to? So there's Perfect. two questions you could answer them. No, that's great. You like. Yeah, so let's talk about the model. So, when it comes to coaching, there's kind of two main models, right? And we can overcomplicate it because there's like, you can add calls, takeaway calls, add content, takeaway content, but there's really scalable and intimate. And scalable requires less of you or a team and it's more leveraged in nature. So you're going to utilize things like community, uh, live events, virtual events, content to deliver the result that people are buying into. And so one of my offers is called The Community. And it has one call from me a week and then I do a bunch of bonus calls and things like that. But there's no one-to-one -one time associated with that with me or with anyone else. And so what that's done is it's forced me to create a really good collaborative community where people are paying $18,000 a year to be in this space where there's no one-to-one -one coaching. So we're teaching them to become self-led. And then on the other side, I have an intimate offer. And the intimate offer is more of my time where you're getting my advisory, my mentorship, and my coaching. And so one of the things I'm always looking at when it comes to business models is the season of the entrepreneur and kind of what their goals are for the season. Because depending on that, you want to lean towards more of an intimate model where you can make a lot of money. Like I find this funny, right? People say like, we shouldn't do one-to-one -one coaching, right? It's like, it's like it's beneath us at a certain point. Oh goodness. I'm going from one-to-one -to, -one to one to many. Dude, I had one client last year, one client pay me $300,000 just for consulting at two and a half thousand dollars an hour. So oftentimes it's not about whether or not the one-to-one -one coaching should be done or not as if it's black or white. It's how much is our time worth, right? Because one-to-one -one coaching is a really poor trade time for money if it's a lot of time for a little bit of money. And it's a fantastic way to make a lot of money if the trade is great. 
And so that was one of the things that I found so interesting is we've, I've kind of made a resurgence within my business and with clients, moving them towards one-to-one coaching, but structuring it in a way where it's an amazing hourly rate. So intimate versus scalable is kind of how I think about it and how I've designed my business. When it comes to content, I think about it in uh, a couple of ways. Firstly, uh, I don't know who I heard this from, but the hub and spoke model. One of the mistakes a lot of people make when it comes to content is they look at the, the greats and they try to emulate them from day one. So you imagine you're starting out your content journey and you listen to Gary Vee and he says, you should be posting on every platform all the time, all the stuff. And what I didn't realize at the time was the hardest thing to manage as an entrepreneur is your energy, not necessarily your time, right? So you can figure out how to put all these 15 minute increments in your calendar of like getting stuff done, but what will burn out uh, faster than time is your energy. And creating and distributing content requires a lot of energy. And so oftentimes people are much better saw, uh, much better position if they focus on one platform. And that's what we call the hub. So the hub for us is like, we call it a community funnel. Could be Facebook, could be Instagram, could be LinkedIn. It is your hub of where you're building community. And that's where all of your content is, is created for. Then the spokes are where we redistribute it. So we went recently from 10 pieces of content a week to 60 pieces of content. But that wasn't me creating 60 individual pieces of content. That was us upping our redistribution. And so everything for me is based around YouTube content. So I'll shoot two to three uh, videos a week. Some of them will be direct to camera covering a topic. Some of them will be like meetings that I'm in, kind of trying to document more than creating. And then redistributing that across reels. So doing like two reels a day, like we're ramping up to that right now. And then redistributing them across Instagram, YouTube, threads, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and then uh, bringing in the necessary copywriting that's going to support those things. But everything for me flows out of long form video content because the more I've positioned myself and and focus my energy on creating long form content, the easier it is to get clients. So I mentioned earlier how I close clients in the DMs, right? And I had a belief when I was selling the thousand dollar thing back in 2019 that that worked for that price point, but it wouldn't work for a higher price point. What I've realized is is it's not so much about what price it works for and doesn't work for. It's how much trust you've built and how much your marketing has pre-sold your prospects on you being the solution for them. So now I sell 18 and kind of $20,000 packages through chat every day, but it's because I've focused so much on building trust through long form content. I don't know if that answers your questions, if there's any follow-ups, but that's kind of the the kind of two things that come to mind for me. I got a couple follow-ups. One of them is, you mentioned earlier, you're a really tight team of just two. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think that you'd be able to edit and repurpose and distribute all that with two people. Do you have contractors or how does that work? Yeah, so that's me- a great question. And maybe so, I think this is good for the listeners. Like they're thinking about bringing and building a team versus contractors versus DIY. Yep. What's what's your approach to that? So I have two uh, team members. I have uh, a mostly full-time virtual assistant. She is amazing. She does... Uh, all the administration, she does all the legwork of the redistribution and things like that. Um, she's my superstar right hand. Then I brought on a full-time content manager who oversees all of the strategy redistribution, all of the editing, doesn't necessarily do it all, but oversees all of that and then shoots all of this content. So literally he's actually here right now with the camera, right? So he's he's filming oh. this, right? So he's he's my- So he's just off camera right now. Off Just off camera. He's He's- like like boots on the ground with me here in Bali shooting stuff. So we go say and- hi to him for me because I used to be him. That, that's <laughs> how I started perfect. as a videographer. I'll, I'll tell him. You, I'll tell him you say hi. So um 
So those are the two the two uh, main um, team members, right? I don't have any salespeople. I don't have any coaches or anything like that. And then we do work with a couple of different agencies that we contract out stuff to. But this has been something that is really, really new. Like I didn't have a full-on content team or all of these things to get to seven figures. This is like once I've kind of got to this kind of million-dollar profit thing, I've now started building out this team of vendors, so to speak. So I have someone that repurposes my transcriptions from videos into copy to promote the videos. So they'll take the transcription of the video, write the YouTube description, write the post for Facebook to promote it. And then I have a video editing agency. I was working with just one contractor and found that we kind of outgrew him pretty fast and there was like language barriers and things like that. So we've recently just taken on an yep. agency that helps with short form. And then in a couple of weeks, they're going to be helping us with long form. But up until now, most of it has kind of been quote unquote in-house. Like my first few YouTube videos was phone, these headphones, and me just uploading it myself. Like there was no tech uh, there was no editing. It was literally just getting it done. And so that's been a huge um, belief that served me well is imperfect action, right? Like I love like bringing up Pomozi again. If you look at his old YouTube videos, it is hilarious how bad the production is. Like it's the worst webcam, a dimly lit room. A, like there's nothing in his background. There's no hue lights or plants. I think in some of his videos, there's a whiteboard and there's an American flag and it's him in his tank top just sitting there on a Facebook live kind of sharing some stuff. And so for me, it's always been about the emphasis of like what I'm saying, not how it looks. And then if you can move towards making it look better and sound better, that's amazing. But don't let that be a barrier to you actually taking action right? Like I love, we, we look at someone like Ty Lopez, who's made tens of millions of videos shot from his phone with no mic. He's yeah. just holding it and he's here in my garage, right? That was one of the best YouTube uh, ads of all time. And it was shot on a whim with his phone, with no team, with no production quality, with no editing whatsoever. So that's how I've kind of built my team and how I started was I just got started with what I had, the gear I had, the team I had, which was no team. And then I've slowly started to build this out as I've got clearer on the vision of what I'm trying to do with content. And over the next 12 months, like my goal is to kind of assemble the Avengers of content, like in terms of like really creating amazing content on every platform and me doing as little work as possible. Meaning like I want to do high leverage video stuff do short form, do long form. I don't really want to be sitting down and creating articles, doing editing, figuring out the scheduling times and the distribution. I want the team to be able to do that for me. I want to, as much as I, like I heard Ty Lopez say the other day, the best business model is live your life and have people film it. And I was like, yep, that mm -hmm. sounds about right for me. And so for me, it's like, just before this call, I did a one-to-one -one coaching call and the camera was there and we filmed the thing. So that 30-minute call might become a 10-minute video. And so those are the kind of things I'm thinking about with content is not just how do I create content, but how do I document what I'm already doing? Got it. Okay, a couple of lightning round questions before we wrap this up. And I, the thing I was going to ask was like, what are you thinking about in the future? And you just covered that for me. So thank you for that. Perfect. Uh, lightning round questions. Uh, five books that have helped you the most. Yeah, so a couple that come to mind right away is Man's Search for Meaning is a fantastic okay. book. I've read that multiple we'll times. Below. I read that again in the middle of COVID. COVID for me was a really interesting thing because we were about to leave the country in 2020 and I was so ready to get out of New Zealand. New Zealand is where I was born, but it's not my home, you know? And so I remember just feeling so powerless and victimized by the fact that for anyone who doesn't know, New Zealand during uh, the lockdowns and things like that, you could leave, 
but you couldn't get back in, right? So you had to go on this crazy lottery where we had people that were locked out of the country for a year, right? And so that for me was a really like, like my mindset started to suck. And so man's search for meaning was incredible. Second book, which is a mouthful, is called Psycho-Cybernetics. Amazing, amazing book on, on the psychology of self-image. So I would say like anyone who's trying to improve their thought life, their identity, uh, become a better belief collector, I would say that's a great place to start. Um, uh, $100 million offers is an amazing book, of course, right? Um, and so highly recommend that for anyone who's in business and looking to create better offers. I think that's fantastic. Looking at my books right now, um, yeah, goodness, four-hour work week. I'm always floored at how great that book is. You just revisit it no matter the stage of business you're at and it's just such a great read. And so highly recommend, um, yeah, you thinking about that. Uh, Building a Story Brand is another one by Donald Miller. Mm. Um, that's a fantastic book. Um, yeah, I don't know if any any others come to mind. Like, Yeah, we got five. That was yeah, great. Perfect. That was great, thank you. And I, I like to do these unprepared because it's the the top of mind ones that are usually the ones that not not the famous ones. Actually, you said yeah. a few that were really famous, and a couple I haven't read yet. So yeah, Man Search for Meaning and Psychosybernetics are for sure top books for me. Like those would be you would okay. ask me on any day of the week in any year, and those would be the books that I recommend. They're they're amazing. Got it. Final question: uh, podcasts that you love right now that you listen to. If Great any. question. So. There, I would say there's not many that I listen to frequently, but I have a number that I kind of dip in and out of. So I mentioned Brooke Castillo earlier. She has a fantastic podcast called the Life Coach School Podcast. That's a really, really good podcast. Occasionally, depending on the guests, I'll listen to Stephen Bartlett, Diary of a CEO, or uh, Jay Shetty. So if they've got really interesting people, like I loved Jay Shetty's interview with Rick Rubin. Uh, for any of you who don't know Rick Rubin, he's one of the greatest music producers of all time. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite books is a book that he wrote called The Creative Act. So highly recommend that. Um, yeah, I love I love Hormozy's podcast. I really, I really like Hormozy's early episodes as well. Like now obviously he's speaking to a, a very different audience to kind of how he started out. If you go through the first hundred episodes of Hormozy's podcast, it's a masterclass in business building. I highly recommend checking that out. Mm. Awesome. Have you checked out this one called uh, How to Take Over the World? No, I haven't. Uh, I'd recommend that if you haven't. Uh, what what this guy does is he just looks at the biographies of successful people who have taken over the world in some way, either through science, through you know conquest, through uh, business and things like that. And he takes he reads a whole bunch of biographies and distills it down to either one episode in one hour or two in uh, two hours. Oh, amazing! Uh, I'd love that one. And there's one called Founders, which is a similar theme, but specifically in the entrepreneurial space. Yeah. And I don't know about you, I've, but sometimes just hearing a story is so much more fun than, uh, <laughs> than, than doing theory. So you mix that up. So those 100%. could be fun. I don't know. Maybe you should check those out. Yeah. Yeah. I will. All right. I got to let you go. I got to let you go. Your but time. if you have one, thank you some, I appreciate yours. One final thing. If you have any words of wisdom for people who are thinking about, uh, balancing content creation and business or like, like, should they, shouldn't they, uh, there must be your clients who ask a question. What do you say to them when they when they ask, like, I'm struggling with content creation. What should I be focusing on? What should I start with? What should my, my yeah. path be? A couple of key things come to mind. Firstly, Gary V's document, Don't Create, is a is an amazing place to start. It's oftentimes we think we need to sit down and create content rather than realizing we're already doing a bunch of stuff that could be considered content if we simply filmed it and redistributed it, right? The second thing is, I have yet to actually sit down and brainstorm video ideas, 
right? So I don't try and come up with the best topic. I live my life. I hear problems that clients have. I hear questions that prospects have. And I go through my life with my antennae up, right? Trying to pick up the signal of like, what, what, might, what might be something that I'm excited to talk about? So I've yet to create a video that I don't want to create simply for the sake of creation. I'm always creating stuff I want to talk about. And so really going from that sense of, what makes a great piece of content versus what questions would I like to answer and what topics would I like to talk about, I think is a really key piece. The, the third thing I'd say is start with what you can commit to doing consistently. So some people go, I'm creating no content, so I'm going to create three podcast episodes a week. Why don't you just start with one a week and just figure that out, right? Start with something you can actually commit to long-term so you're not bouncing back and forth between consistency and non-consistency between momentum and not, but find something that you are excited to do and find a medium you're excited to do it in. Like I think this medium is perfect for some people. And so if they love the idea of sitting down with fascinating people and asking questions and getting, basically creating content out of conversations like this, they should do that. For other people, they don't want to do that. So they should like sit down and do book reviews or do um, breaking down uh, courses they've been through, whatever it is, finding the element that aligns with your passions and your greatest like excitement is a really big hack. Because in order for it to be sustainable, it has to be enjoyable. And the last thing I'd say is the hack for me has been you have to manage energy, not time. So what parts of the day, what pockets of the week are going to be best for you to create content? So Wednesday for me is content creation day. I don't create content on any other day of the week. I shot 13 videos between longs and shorts on Wednesday. And that's me for the next couple of weeks, right? And so I don't think about content every day. I'm not trying to carve out 10 minutes here and 15 minutes here. I manage my energy. So I come into a Wednesday and that is all I'm thinking about. That's the only energy I need to bring. I'm not coaching and then creating and then coaching and then creating. I'm just doing one thing at a time. Fridays and Tuesdays are my call days. So that's where I'm doing stuff like this. And so really figuring out how to manage your energy and not your time for the greatest creative output, I think is a huge hack for people to think about. Because I think they try and create from a place of stress and scarcity. I've got 30 minutes here and I need to create an amazing YouTube thing and I'm going to 10 calls after that. I don't think that's how it works for most people. I think we need to create space and carve out time and batch stuff so we can manage our energy the best we can. Amazing. Thank you so much for that. So I've got to wrap this up. I want to respect your time. Uh, and to the listeners, guys, what I want to say is the fact that you came all the way to the end, whether you're watching this on YouTube, whether you're listening in uh, in Spotify or Apple Podcasts, something about Dan and his story kept you to the end. So what I want you to do is please share this with somebody else and uh, whoever it is who's thinking about content creation, different path in life or radical change potentially in life, then I think that this would be a good fit for them. Share this with somebody, do them a favor. And I think his story is entertaining as hell as well. Dan, <laughs> thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate you. And uh, for everybody else, I'll see you again next week. Thanks, dude. Thanks for listening to another episode of Scale School. I hope you found something valuable in today's episode. If you haven't already subscribed, go ahead and do that so you can be notified every time we drop future episodes. And if you and I have not already connected, feel free to track me down on any one of the social media platforms. My big head and smiling face are no doubt gonna be there. And you can just search my name, Dan Bolton, and we can connect there. But thank you again for tuning in and I'll see you in a future episode.